John Urquhart, Nearing the Finish Line After his farewell to St. Andrews, John was able to spend two weeks in Perth with his family. He hoped to go on a preaching tour of the Highlands with John Adam, but was feeling poorly and unable to go. By May, he was settled into a new position, that of tutor to the ten-year-old son of Colonel Moreland. Although eager to apply to the London Missionary Society, he also wanted to honor his parents' wishes. He was also aware of his age and inexperience, and he thought that after a year spent as a tutor, his parents might be more favorable to the idea. Colonel Moreland lived in Tannockside, about eight miles from Glasgow. Since Glasgow was home to a new independent seminary, John hoped to take classes alongside his own teaching responsibilities. The tutoring position had been arranged through the efforts of Dr. Chalmers and Lord Roslin, who lived in the near palatial Dysart House, about 20 miles from St. Andrews, and about 60 miles from Tannockside. It's not clear what the connection was between Moreland and Lord Roslin, but the Moreland family were frequent guests at Roslin's home, staying for weeks at a time. In these final months of his life, John would spend his time either at Tannockside, Dysart House, or on the road between them. Several weeks in May and early June were spent at Roslin's estate, during which time Urquhart marked his 18th birthday. On June 8, he recorded, Yesterday, I completed my 18th year. Hitherto has the Lord brought me. And in spite of much wickedness and unthankfulness, he continues to bless me. How little have I done? Hitherto I have made my youth an excuse for much inactivity. Will this be an excuse at the tribunal of God? Dysart House was a large estate with frequent comings and goings of the upper class. But his time in Tannockside with the Morelands would prove challenging for John. Neither they nor anyone in their employ were Christians, and the area was surrounded only by scattered cottages. He quickly became starved for fellowship, something especially painful after the deep, daily conversations he had held with his friends at St. Andrews. As he was almost in exile, he decided to keep a daily journal of his thoughts. Up to this point, he had made short notations of daily activities, but he wanted to record more of his thoughts and fears. He initially debated with himself about putting his thoughts on paper. He anticipated that someday someone else might read them, and he feared the thought of this might influence what he wrote. His teaching responsibilities only took about four hours of his day, leaving him with time for his own studies. He had had a tight schedule while at St. Andrews, and recognized he would need to set up a similar daily study plan now that he had no course deadlines or official responsibilities. Over the summer, he spent time in both Hebrew and Greek Testaments, read books on church history, evidences for Christianity. He even enjoyed some of Shakespeare's comedies, but was compelled to give them up because of their undesirable parts. He wrote, The pearls are indeed fine and present a great temptation, but after all, they are not worth the diving for, or at least the ocean that covers them is too dangerous for such a feeble adventurer as I. Before long, it became apparent that his hopes of studying in the Congregationalist Seminary would not materialize, but he did have the opportunity at the end of June to visit Glasgow, where he had the chance to see the school and the city's great cathedral. In writing to his friend Henry Crake, he also noted that the statue of our revered Knox, John Knox, stands on the neighboring hill. Trips such as this to Glasgow were invigorating, but they were the exception to a life of increasing loneliness. While at Dysart House, he had tried to begin a time of family worship with the servants, but this suggestion, while not denied, was received with coolness. At other times, he tried to initiate spiritual conversation with the Morelands, but was frustrated in his attempts. 
but he was encouraged by the reception he received from their son, who showed at least an intellectual interest and reception of scriptural truth. At times, John would go out into the countryside to distribute gospel tracts to the little cottages, and his pupil's willingness to accompany him was an encouragement. He also was able to briefly gather a group of young men for spiritual conversation, but he felt he ruined his chance because of the hurry of the harvest. He felt he had pressed the group too quickly to commit to Christ. Letter writing remained his only link to the outside world and to his dear friends. He wrote often during these days, and nearly every letter to a friend asked for information on mutual friends from St. Andrews. The discouragement and depression that came from his situation was a frequent topic in his letters. In July, he wrote, I've suffered excessively today from mental depression and could assign no specific cause for it. I'm half inclined to ascribe it to the immediate agency of Satan or some of his emissaries. At times, his depression was so extreme that it made him dread real madness, which then made him wonder, is this a fit character for a missionary? The depths of despair did not always stay with him, but the darkness never completely left. He wrote in November, All around is more dreary now than ever, and in other respects, external circumstances are no better than they were. And yet I know nothing of that strange dejection which pressed me so heavily before. As his old pastor reflected on John's low spirits, he attributed them to his busy mental labors, his separation from his friends, and his anxious longing to be an active missionary service. John's last letter to Pastor Orm came in September, reiterating how he had made every effort to honor the desire of his parents that he not go into foreign missions. Their continued opposition was a burden that he continued to carry. Upon receiving this letter from John, Orm felt compelled to write directly to his father and intercede for him. He was convinced that such a long-standing desire must be coming from the Lord, and that it would be fruitless to oppose it. With what must have been emotional reservations, John Sr. accepted Orm's reasoning and gave indications to his son that he had his blessing. But by December, John's own health began to indicate that something far more serious might keep him from the field. 